welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Whether it's devotional times, family issues, or marriage problems, we want to help you understand and apply what the Bible says in practical ways that produce real results. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Drawing Near to the Throne of Grace on deepening your prayer life. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. topic, Drawing Near to the Throne of Grace. Now last week we, let me just uh, mention a few things from last week. Uh, well last week we used the figure of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe from the book by C.S. Lewis to talk about how Jesus is, the, is like the lion, the lion of Judah. He's our Lord. The, the witch uh, reminds us of our battle with uh, our enemy, Satan. And the wardrobe is a nice picture of our place of prayer the place of prayer in our lives. And I particularly liked the image in that book. Some of many of you have read it. There's, it's a story about these children. And they, at one point, hide in a wardrobe, which is a European closet, since in Europe they don't build closets in the houses. They you have to make a closet out of wood, and it's called a wardrobe. And they got in this, they were hiding in this wardrobe, and as they pushed further and further back, they realized that they, couldn't, they weren't touching the back. And the further back they went, the more they found they were in the midst of a forest, and it was a whole other world. And to me, that's also a good picture of prayer. That it's not this some tiny little enclosed place like a prison cell where you go and do your time so you won't feel bad for not having prayed. But really, as you grow in prayer, it begins to open up and you realize it's almost like a whole other world. It's almost like stepping out of time and space uh, into the presence of God. And it uh, can be addictive. And that's where we are hoping we're going to be someday. That uh, the place of prayer would call us and that we would long to spend that time with the Lord rather than dreading it. Now, I did mention last time the topic of freedom in Christ, and again, we can't cover it totally here, but by that I don't mean things that are um, purely problems that are of a demonic nature. I just mean anything in your life where you don't feel free, where you think this is more than just the normal level of struggle. It may be a, an, an overwhelming sense of guilt uh, over a, a, a sin, a large sin in your past, abortion, some crime you might have committed, uh, an abuse that was either done to you or you did to someone else. But uh, even though you've confessed that, there's still this overwhelming sense of uncleanness and burden. It may be some type of, uh, the lack of freedom in Christ may be uh, manifest in some type of, type of compulsive behavior, such as an eating disorder, uh, addiction to pornography or, or some substance. But it, it, uh, when we talk about the lack of freedom in Christ that can hinder our prayer life, we're talking about any area of persistent darkness in our heart. And the Lord can deal with that. In fact, what we read last week in John 8, he said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And we never want to quit believing that. Some battles are long. But we should always believe that one day every knee will bow, even of those giants in my land, 
and Jesus will have set me completely free. This week we want to talk about wishful thinking or powerful reality. When we think about praying. Last week we talked about the foundation of prayer and this week we want to talk about the faith for prayer. Is praying simply playing make-believe? We're going to pretend that this good God is there and we're going to go and pretend like we're talking to him. And then we're going to pretend that he's going to do something when we ask him to do it and just try to be positive. Or is it really uh, like what we see in the pages of the scripture, a powerful reality that really shaped lives, turned the course of history, shaped nations? Is prayer today just wishful thinking or is it a powerful reality? Let's look at Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes, and forever. I bet you've heard that verse before. Isn't that a good one? Now, when you think about Jesus Christ, and you think about yesterday, as you go back in time, you think back and back, 2,000 years back, and with a sort of a hazy glow around the, 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 the TV screen, you see Jesus there with his, with his disciples, and you see the, the miracles and the teaching and all of those things. And there's almost a sense of, wow, wouldn't that be neat to take uh, a trip and, and actually get to be there. To have been able to just have a webcam there or, or maybe even to be there for, for a day or a week, wouldn't that have been something? We, we have a, this clear picture of how Jesus was back 2,000 years ago. It was wonderful. I mean, just so attractive. Look, look at all these people. We're, we're all here just because we want to follow this person who was so wonderful those 2,000 years ago. And when we think ahead, now we come back to the present. Now we're going to think ahead all the way out till tomorrow or in a thousand years when the Lord returns. And that's going to be glorious also. The, the angels, the trumpet, the dead and Christ arising, these bodies just coming up out of, the, out of the ocean and floating up and out of the ground and bodies that were blown apart coming back together. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We say that every week. But boy, when we see it, we're going to go, man, I had no idea. This is just amazing. We, so when we think in terms of time, when we think back, yesterday he was wonderful. And tomorrow or in the future, wonderful. Well, what's going on today? It's almost like there's this dip that before he was great. And now, I don't know, but it's just you and me and the chickens. And then one day he's coming back and it's going to be great again. And what happened in this middle spot? This verse teaches us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So at least we can discard the possibility that he's different. He says, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be great for a while, then I'm going to sneak around for a while, and then I'm going to pop up at the end, like Jack in the Box. And you just have to hang in there while I'm, I'm uh, behaving differently. It says, Jesus Christ is the same. Why can't our days today look like the days with Jesus back when he was on earth? Now, the interesting thing is, if we could 
take a trip and fly around the world. And I could take you to Latin America, and I could take you to Africa, and I could take you to parts of Asia. I wouldn't speak on this in any of those three places. Because to them, it is like this. He was great. He is great. He will be great. In a, in a church service, I said, how many people in here have been miraculously healed, or you know someone who's been miraculously healed? 95% of the hands went up. This is down in Argentina. I talked to a, the caretaker of the church down there, and I, I asked him how he came to know Christ. He says, well, I was laughing at these evangelicals, and they were having this little crusade down at the park, and, and one day I thought, well, I'll go laugh a little closer, you know. I'll, uh, I told my wife, yeah, maybe I'll get healed. She, as he went out, she said, yeah, maybe you'll get healed of something. And so he said, he went down, he heard the gospel, he asked Christ in his life, and, and well, I was kind of left hanging, you know. I said, well, were you healed of anything? Oh, yeah, about five things. And he named them all off, you know, and sinusitis and his problems with his back and all of this. But that wasn't the thing that he was excited about. He was excited about receiving the Lord. But other parts of the world experience, are experiencing the Lord in a completely different way than uh, the normal churches that you see in the United States and in Europe. In uh, 1 Corinthians 4.20, Paul says, uh, for the kingdom of heaven does not consist in words, but in power. And when we look at our churches today, we must ask the question, where's the power? Where is this Jesus if he's the same? Where is he? Now we've got three things here when we think about the Lord doing great things. The first thing is, whether or not he's even there. And for some people, that's a stretch. But we, we're sort of settled that one. We believe he's there. The second thing is, he, whether or not he's acting differently. Well, it says he's the same. Well, the only other possibility is, well, maybe he's not here. He exists, he's the same, but he's, he's away for a while. Like Elijah on the mountain, Mount Carmel taunting the prophets of Baal and, and, and uh, saying to them, well, maybe Baal went out for lunch. You know, maybe that's why he's not. He's not here. And for a lot of people, I think they think of God as a mail-order God who's like Amazon.com. It's God.com. You, you, you send off your order, but who knows if it's in stock and how long it's going to take. It, it, there's, there's quite, and he doesn't send you any confirmation emails to let you know, well, it's on its way or, or things like that. And there's this sense of unreality, this difficulty in imagining that this Jesus that we admire so much in the past is the same Jesus that's right here, right now, and ready to be the same to us today. Now, the second thing we want to talk about is, why is it that we have the difficulty we have with prayer, with faith, with experiencing Jesus Christ the way the disciples experienced him. Now, most people say, well, it's obvious. He's not here. He said, but he said, uh, that's the reason for sending the Holy Spirit. He says, so that I can be even more with you at all times, no matter where all of you scatter and go, I will be with you just as much as I was with the disciples. The only difference is you can't see me and touch me, but I will be just as with you. That was his last promise in Matthew 28. I will be with you. You, right there. Not a mile away, not an age away. He's right there. 
And I thought, it was, well, what, what are you doing? I mean, look at all of these problems. If you're so close, how, how can you sit there with your arms folded? He might ask us the same question. And I believe if we were to boil it down, I've come to a conclusion. When you think about why is prayer difficult, why don't I pray? Maybe some of you have maybe read books. You've certainly read verses. You've heard messages on it. You've thought to yourself, I really need to get going in prayer. You've tried and it's kind of dwindled off again. Uh, you just don't bring up the subject because you don't feel very good about it. And maybe with the New Year's resolution, uh, you used to at least make New Year's resolutions on it that maybe, well, I'll pray more this year. You've, you've even given up doing that. Doesn't even come up. You think about, well, what are we going to do this year? Prayer wasn't even in it. You, th you think, well, it's just a dead dog, you know. Uh, that, you must have to have some kind of a gift to do this. Uh, it's just not me. And I think that if we were to hear all the reasons why you and I have struggled with prayer, whether it be fatigue, or distraction, or uh, boredom, or difficulty in arranging our schedule and our time, whatever it might be, I think it still all stems back from just one root. Now you may, you may chew on this and decide I, I'm wrong, but this is my theory, so I'm going to give it to you, because it's nice when you can have the opportunity or the, the, the advantage of narrowing down, what's, is there one root problem that I'm dealing with? And I think the root problem why we have such a hard time praying is just because we have a hard time even believing. There is something that has greatly affected North America and Europe uh, ever since the Enlightenment. It's a something called deism where they believe that God started the universe like a clock according to natural law and then went away. And he left us to just figure out the best we can learn about science, and try to be good, and behave ourselves. And so it's, an, it's the idea of a passive, distant, non-engaging God who doesn't get involved. You're kind of on your own, and you need to be good and make the most of your situation. And this whole idea that God is right there, He is engaged, He will act in a supernatural way, is something that... that uh, that North America and our, and our scientific and can-do mentality has almost extinguished our faith in a God who is there and a God who will act. And frankly, if he's not there and he's not going to do anything, why pray? Well, I mean, you can, there's, there are other reasons for praying to just express your love for him, and, but how long does that take? Send him a valentine, I, I love you, Lord. Well, that was brief. You know, how do these people pray three hours? I love you, I love you, I love you. Uh, they, do they just re repeat it? When we look at how God tries to motivate us to come into his presence, most of the things he says is, this is worth your while. This, you're going to be glad you did this. This is really going to accomplish something. But one of our biggest obstacles, I believe, is the, un is the unbelief. We find it hard to believe he's really there. And in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 2, all through the Gospel, but one thing I'd, I'd encourage you to do sometime, just as a little mini Bible project, Bible study project, is to go through the Gospel of John and circle the word signs. Sign and signs. 
he uses that word instead of the word miracles. And he refers to all of the things that Jesus did of turning the water into wine and healing the son of the royal official, but he never calls them miracles. He always calls them signs. Why? A sign points away from itself to something else normally of greater interest and value, the true destination of where you're heading. A person who is going to Savannah and gets to the very first sign that says Savannah that way a hundred miles and just goes and saws off the sign, puts it in this car, and goes home. And you think, I thought you were going to Savannah. Well, I was, but I found this great sign, and, and uh, I just decided that was good enough. That's what happens when people get distracted by miracles. That, you remember the ten lepers, the nine who didn't come back? The greatest thing of greatest interest there was not the miracle, but the miracle worker. If he did that, what else could he do? If he did that, who is he? But the other nine says, well, I got my little sign, and they went home. They didn't read the sign. The Son of God, the Savior of the world. To look away, look beyond, look according to that sign, and realize, hey, something's going on here that's much bigger than this sign. But there are many people that try to downplay miracles. They say, well, you know, that's, that's and that's deism again. Not wanting, that we, we cultivate a, a mindset of unbelief, of incredulity, of questioning everything, of doubting everything. And we've got to begin to work against that. Or we will never pray very much. Because we have only perfected unbelief, not faith. You have to work at faith, not because you're inventing something, it's because there are many things that attack it. And you need to strengthen it. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it doesn't say prayer, see? And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now we think, well, that's not hard. Must believe that God is. I've always believed that God is. Must believe that God rewards those who seek Him. Well, yeah, I believe that. No, you don't. Not if you're not praying. If you're not drawn to prayer, if prayer is something that's just a drag, if prayer is a source just of guilt, then it's only because your quota on those two things is low. That He's not really very real to you, and you're not sure it's going to make any difference if you pray. Now, there's some things about with Presbyterians that it, we have it even harder because we have this big deal about God's sovereignty. So we think, oh, well, que sera, sera, you know? I mean, he's already decided what he's going to do. and What difference is it going to make if I pray? We don't realize that his sovereignty also covers our prayers. And he has determined that he's not going to do anything unless we pray. And he has also determined to motivate us. And he puts you in this class, I believe, for these weeks because he wants to get you involved in this and it's all part of something bigger and so when I step into that river of prayer I'm stepping into a plan of God where he's going to flow through me to accomplish great things in the world it makes all the difference if we pray I don't say that just to say it I say it because that's what God has said again and again and again you have not because you ask not because you prayed I'm going to do this. Because you didn't pray, I'm not going to do this. It's intimately tied. We should never allow fatalism 
to take root in our minds. It's completely opposed to what the Bible teaches. Faith is contagious. And that's why if you're around people that are people of faith, that rubs off on you. And if you're around people of incredulity, of unbelief, of doubt and suspicion and negativity, that will rub off on you also. Proverbs 13.20 He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. One day, there's going to be a big aha experience for everybody in the universe. And they're going to realize, aha, he really is there. Well, it's a little bit late now. You know, you only perfected your skepticism instead of working on your faith. Now, let's move on because I haven't helped you at all yet. I've only made it worse. So I want to talk about what we can do to make a difference. Now, we have a world of need. The newspaper is full of it every day. Uh, if you sat down and began to just write out all the things that aren't the way they ought to be in your, in your body, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your state, in your country, and in the world, you'd be there a while. And these are things that if it was an easy thing to solve, we would have solved it. That's how Americans are. But we're, we're kind of bumping up against a wall and all of these things. And when you have faith and you're up against a wall, your natural tendency, even if you don't have faith, is to look up since you're not getting anywhere and to call out to God. And so we all want to see God do great things. There's no believer that, that says, oh, Lord, don't, please don't do anything. You know, let, just let us handle it. Uh, it's just, no, it's not going well. Uh, we, we need God to work in wonderful ways. And the Bible teaches very clearly that the key to seeing God do more is that we pray more. Every time you read it in the scripture, he says that is what's going to make the difference. Because you prayed or because you didn't pray. Prayer, anybody got a verse on it? Um, the importance of prayer. Jeremiah, anybody know that verse in Jeremiah 33, 3? Call Call unto me, and I will answer you, and, and show you great and mighty things. He says, this is a done deal. This will work. Why? Because the one who can never lie has promised it, and he will do it. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things. And James 4, 2, you have not, because you ask not. We should always think from the scriptures out. Uh, our doctrinal system has been built in order to help us to understand the Scripture. But when it puts blinders on it or, or it covers over things that are clearly taught in the Bible, we need to step back and, and once again think outward from the Scripture. And the Bible says that that is heresy because God has said, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. Now, it's two different perspectives. Watch this, watch this. God tells us certain things that the starting point of what he's saying is from us out. And there are other things that he tells us that are from him down. And so when we are looking at it from the eternal perspective from God, that's completely true. That, that God has determined the end from the beginning. He is a sovereign God. He controls all things. And what we're saying here maybe seems to 
we have a problem connecting the dots on it. Doesn't matter. He never told us we had to connect the dots. He just said, when you think about me, think sovereign, in control, that I have everything in my hand. But he says, when you think about you, I want you to think this way. I want you to think responsibility. I want you to think, if you don't pray, it won't happen. That's just Bible. He said, but Lord, how can that be? He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But you respond to what I've said in the scripture, and I will bless you. So, to see God do great things, we need to pray more. I was just reading in, in Isaiah 36 where this huge, the Assyrians were going, going to attack Jerusalem, and they take this letter to Isaiah and they pray about it. Say, Lord, what can we do? This, this horrible army is coming up against us. And this phrase just jumped out at me, and God said, because you prayed, I will defeat that army. And one night, he uh, had 185,000 of them drop dead. But what did God say? He didn't say, well, if you'd have prayed or not, it doesn't matter. I've already got all of my plans made. He said, because you prayed, we must believe what he has said and respond to it. Now, saying to pray more does not help us at all, and I'm very sorry, but we haven't stopped. We're not there yet. There's a, a key to helping us pray more, and that is more faith. Because you pray according to the faith you have. If I tell you this room is about to blow up and you don't run out, it's only because you don't believe me. There were some people that got out of the Twin Towers very quickly and others that took their time. The difference was what they thought was going on. Now again, if they had to go slowly, they had to go slowly. But there's some people that were making a choice there on their speed getting out. And it was according to what they understood was the, the real situation. Now, if you really would believe that when you step into prayer, you step into the control room of the whole universe, and that God says, well, let's play some. What do you want? You want to affect Namibia today? Uh, you want to deal, do something with AIDS in Africa? You want to affect uh, how pornography is going in the United States? What do you want? This is the control center. This is the NORAD of the universe. If you believe that, I mean, we're even fascinated with a teeny little lamp with a genie in it, you know, and thinking you get three measly little wishes. The Lord says, oh, we're not limiting it to three wishes. This is anything. This is as big as God. Only he who believes prays. And only he who prays believes. E.M. Bound said that. I like that. Only he who believes prays. And only he who prays believes. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns one day, will he find faith on earth? He didn't say prayer. Because if there is faith, there will be prayer. You pray according to how much you believe. So if you tell me, Henry, I'm... Days go by, and I, and I, well, I don't even have a prayer time, you know, but I do try to lift up a thought every once in a while. That already is the diagnosis of where your level of faith is. And we already read at the beginning, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. This is not a side issue. This is center of what God is doing in our lives. Now, again, I've, I've only made things worse because how, if I say pray more, you can maybe get a focus on that and say, well, okay, more than what I'm doing, that won't be hard. Anything will be more. 
But now he's telling me to have more faith. Well, how in the world do you do that? I can't even figure out a way to write that one down. What that would look like, uh, a pound more of faith, uh, mustard seed, a second mustard seed of faith? What, what does this look like? Well, I believe that the Bible, and this is where we were going on this, leads us very clearly to understand that there is one thing that greatly affects our faith, and that is testimonies. Testimonies. Now, I, I, you're just going to have to take it on faith now, but I, as, I want you to take this grid and walk through this. When you go through, are reading the Bible now in the next months, and you watch this thing. The thing you, you grew up hearing about as a child, what were the kind of things they taught you in Sunday school when you were in elementary school? Did they t go on and on about the fourth chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith, reading that out? What was it that you remember that you really liked in Sunday school? The stories. What kind of stories? Where God did great things. Where people had faith, they believed Him, and God did great things. And you see it again and again and again and again, and God says, you want to do it? Wouldn't this be fun? Again and again, we see this is the way that God... God doesn't just say, oh, you need to believe me. He doesn't do that. He gives us signs. He shows us, I'm here. Now, again, we look at the children of Israel. Why did they have to spend 40 years in the wilderness? Because He showed them again and again and again and again. What? I'm great. I love you. You can trust me. Again, we look at the children of Israel. Why did they have to spend 40 years in the wilderness? Because He showed them again and again and again and again. What? I'm great. I love you. You can trust me. But then they get in another situation where they couldn't already see the answer and they wouldn't trust Him. And He said, and He gave them a time where they could see things, see His faithfulness, where they have the testimonies, but they never got going. And by Kadesh Barnea, when, they, when God condemned them to die in the wilderness, He said, these ten times you have not believed Me. And you can go back and count them. There are ten times where he was just patient with them. Okay, well, they don't, they don't know me yet. They're not trusting me yet. After ten times, they'd seen him on the mountain. They had written with the finger of God these tablets. He had fed them. He had given them water to drink. He had defeated their enemies. He had saved their lives. And then the tiniest little thing comes up and says, Oh, well, I don't know if we can count on this God. I don't know if he's really there. Maybe we ought to make a golden calf, something we can get our hands on. They weren't willing to believe. But how was God trying to get them there? He was showing them something. Now we look at the life of Jesus. And what, what jumps out is, well, there are a number of very long passages of teaching. But most of the Gospels is testimonies. I was blind. Now I see. This guy was deaf. Now he can hear. Because those things were important in themselves, no, they were signs. They're pointing. It says, this is him. He's here. He's wonderful. And he can do something in your life. John 20. John is talking about why he wrote this gospel. Why he wrote 
the Gospel of John, John 20, 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written. We have written this down, not just to have an old world, a Guinness book of records. Isn't this incredible? Sort of a TV show sort of a thing. He says, we, these have been written down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing have life in his name. Now, maybe this doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but one thing I notice throughout any, most churches I go to in America, they don't share much testimonies. We went to a prayer, we, our church in Argentina had a prayer meeting every Tuesday night. The first third of it was sharing the miracles that God had done the previous week. Now, sometimes they didn't have much to say. But in the church, church I'd been in, we never had anything to say, so we would never open it up for testimonies because the silence would be deafening. Maybe for requests, but never for testimonies because it just didn't seem like God was doing anything. But they really believed God, and they actually did see him do great things. Not always. It, it's, this is not a me mechanistic thing. You push this button and you get a cookie. Uh, we, this is a relationship with the God of the universe. It's much more interesting than that. Now, I shared this at one point, and a pastor uh, upbraided me for getting people's hopes up. And I thought about that for a while. And I thought about some of the things that Jesus said. If you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you can't do anything with that. No, he said, you will say to this mountain, be cast into the depths of the sea. He was sort of getting people's hopes up, wasn't he? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. He was sort of getting people's hopes up, wasn't he? If you have believed in me, the works that I do, you will do, and greater than these, because I go to the Father. I think we should get people's hopes up. Because it's just telling them what Jesus said. And he can't lie. So with this, I want, I want, I want you to understand, in these weeks together, we're not going to focus on guilt, and we're not going to focus on discipline. You've had that in your life for a while, and you've done about as much with that as you're probably going to do. Maybe if it was your first three months as a Christian, we would talk just about discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, and God has commanded you to pray, so you should pray. And if you don't pray, you should feel bad about it. But over the long haul, that's not going to sustain you. What will sustain you is that God becomes so real and you become so intimate with him that when you step into that wardrobe, it's like stepping into another world. I mean, it's not just to ask for things. It's, it's to get to know him, to enjoy him, to breathe heaven's air. It's, it's incredible all that God could do in your prayer life, in your relationship with him as you believe him. And that's why the last part of this time, I'm just going to share some testimonies with you. Because we also were steeped in skepticism, and I'm an engineer, and, and uh, my family background, my, uh, one of my relatives, when they, they had the evangelistic campaign, I found it, you can find it too. Well, he put a bumper stick on his car, I lost it, you can lose it too. I mean, just real skeptics about faith and everything. But being down in Latin America, 
and, and seeing the amazing things that God was doing and realizing, well, funny thing, it's not just that God is doing all these things, but at the same time, coincidentally, these people really are praying. And coincidentally, back in America where all these things aren't happening, well, coincidentally, we're also not praying very much. I don't know if there's a connection. But it does seem to be the characteristic. And so I want to share with you just some examples. The first one is in the area of guidance because this is just going to show different ways that God has worked through prayer. Some in my life and some in people I know. That's one of the wonderful things about it when you go to some of these countries where there's been almost like a revival. To just sit and listen to the stories. When we went down with, when I was down there with Bobby Farmer, he sat there for over an hour and a half listening to the testimonies of these five uh, young believers. And every one of them cried telling their story. And uh, some of them had been healed. One of them had tried to commit suicide. Just these amazing things that God had done in their lives. I had a friend come and visit me one time, and, and sometimes he'd call me from America just to find out the fresh testimonies, the fresh stories. He got a fresh one for me, you know, about what wonderful thing the Lord has done. And God's one day, I, there, was a, there was a girl in our church, a lady, who was very active and probably in her late 20s, and really loved the Lord, a woman of prayer, and she was in some Bible studies with Wendy. But she dressed very sensually. I mean, it stuck out from everyone else. And I know Latin Americans have that sort of that reputation, but when somebody uh, really sticks out from the rest, you realize, well, something's going on here. And, I, I, and so one morning I was just walking and praying about this. I, I walked and not go to sleep or get distracted. If I, I like to do my prayer in a way that reminds me this is really something. I'm really doing something and not just kind of sitting around watching the clock or doing my time. And so I'm walking back and forth praying about, about this situation because it's such a delicate thing, you know. You don't know if they even realize it and, and if you say something and how they're going to feel. And so, you know, I thought, well, we'll just talk to God about it. So, and in the midst of this, all of a sudden, certain things began to come into my mind, a, a, a Bible story and different thoughts, and I, I began to write that down. And for the next two or three hours... Uh, later on, I went to a coffee shop, and I just couldn't get away from it. I, I opened my Bible, and the Lord was just leading me through scriptures and thoughts, and I, and I wrote it all down. At one point, I was just crying there in the coffee shop. And, and so I told, and I realized as I got it all done, it was, a, it was a sermon. Now, I didn't hear God's voice audibly or anything. I mean, it's, not, it's a lot more subtle than that, but it was just the illumination of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, but related to a specific situation. So I told the pastor, if you ever need me to give a sermon, I, I happen to have one. <laughs> and, uh, and so he said, well, you can do it this Sunday. We're kind of a loose affair down there, and uh, we don't have a bulletin or anything, so you can kind of do a little razzle-dazzle there at the end. So I got up and, and uh, really sensed the presence of the Lord in giving that sermon, uh, but she wasn't there that day. <laughs> but we taped it, and, uh, and she got a copy of it. We made sure she was able to get a copy of it. She came to us the next week, and she says, I was listening to that in my kitchen the other day. That, you remember the sermon? Yeah, I remember the sermon thinking. <laughs> and uh, she says, because only one of the seven points had to do with her problem. And she says, it got to that particular point on sensuality, and the Lord convicted me. I fell to my knees. I burst out crying. And I asked the Lord to forgive me. She was never the same. 
She it was like night and day, but it was the Lord doing it. As far as going to guidance, as far as going to Argentina, I didn't want to go to Argentina. I didn't even like Latin America. I didn't like Spanish. I wanted to go to France. <laughs> I knew German, uh, anything but Latin America. And the Lord closed the door to France, opened it to Argentina. I thought, oh, brother, you know. I'm able to do this, to will myself to do it, but, but I have to go around and raise support. And I, I'll feel like I'm, you know, sending myself to my own funeral. So, Lord, give me some kind of a wink, a nod, some kind of an indication that this is you and not just a, a, a burp in the organization, you know. <laughs> Whoops, you know. And Because uh, they'd asked me where I wanted to go, and I said, uh, Germany, France, Europe, or, or Africa. So I thought, well, why did they ask? But anyway, so, <laughs> so we had a half-day in prayer, and I, and I was leading the half-day in prayer. We were supposed to spend the first hour all by ourselves just uh, praising the Lord, and I couldn't praise the Lord. I was just thinking, Argentina, I can't believe this. Argentina, <laughs> like neon letters going like this, like a horror story. And, uh, and at one point, and I can't even remember exactly how it happened, but the Lord led me to read uh, the, the book of Jonah. I just sort of felt like I needed to read the book of Jonah. And through that, God tremendously encouraged me that there was somebody else in history that also didn't want to go where God wanted him to go, and it was okay. And the Lord gave me such a clear call to Argentina. But it was, again, in that time of prayer. As far as healing, well, in Argentina, of course, there's so many things that we could share. But uh, I want to share a personal one on that. Let's see, I, I took notes because Wendy knew I'd get the details mixed up on this. But you know that thing where a small child with cold-type symptoms has something like the croup? Does that, is that in, in Spanish, they call it the false croup or something. But when it's almost like asthma. They can't breathe. And they get desperate, you know. Well, Caroline had that a number of times. And, and one day she came home from school, kindergarten, and she was about three and a half, and uh, went to sleep. Normally she doesn't take a nap. But <clears throat> later on, the kids called. Wendy, and they said, something's wrong with Caroline. And Wendy went in, and she, she couldn't breathe. Her eyes were big with fear. She was <gasps> like that. And, and I was gone. There were no cell phones. I had the only car. She was there with uh, four children, uh, the, uh, age nine down to three, and one of them sick. And so she, she went into the bathroom and turned on the hot water to, you know, to do the vapor, and that didn't work. So she went, took, him out, took her outside, and that didn't work. And the only thing, she, she couldn't contact me. She couldn't leave the kids to go to the hospital. So she called this, a, a doctor friend, uh, a lady, and she uh, was trying to explain to her what was Caroline's condition. And finally, she just put the phone up to Caroline's mouth. <laughs> like that and, she, and, and Sylvia said uh, call the ambulance call the ambulance now she was a pediatrician and, and when he says I don't even know where the phone number is for the ambulance you call it so she hung up Sylvia hung, hangs up the phone picks it back up to dial the ambulance and the phone's dead and so she, she, she tries it again. She thinks, well, maybe the phone upstairs will work. She goes out of the kitchen into the living room. Her mother's there. They've been having tea. And she says, Mom, pray. Caroline's got the false croup. The phone's dead. We've got to get the ambulance. The grandmother drops to her knees and begins to pray. You've got to see this woman. It's just, it's, uh, uh, just a truck coming through when it comes talks to talk about prayer. <laughs> she runs upstairs, picks up the phone, the line's dead. She puts it down, prays, picks it up. It's now working. She dials the ambulance and goes back down, and the grandmother's gotten up. She says, it's okay now. She's fine. Back at the house, Wendy uh, is just crying, hangs up the phone, takes Caroline back into where there's the, the vapor in the bathroom, 
And Caroline puts her head down on Wendy's shoulder and goes to sleep peacefully. And just three minutes later, two of our disciples arrived, so there was somebody to take care of the kids. Five minutes later, the ambulance arrives, so they, they took Caroline because she needed the cortisone shots. And she sent one of them to find me. Well, I'm driving down the street. I don't know anything. And I see a friend of mine riding. I realize that's his car riding in front of me. He was looking for me. I'm behind him, you know. I said, hey, that's Francisco. And, and he all of a sudden, he sees me and he stops. And he says, go to the hospital. Caroline's in the hospital. So in so many ways, God worked to save Caroline's life. And we just saw so clearly how he was using prayer. There was another girl at, at, at the place we were in Merlo, this, this part out of, outside of Buenos Aires, a suburb, and I rem I'll never forget the pastor's son saying, please pray, what was her name, for Lorena. He said, there's really not any hope. They, they said her whole uh, skull has filled up with blood. She's had some sort of a hemorrhage. She's in a comatose state, and they say she will either die or she'll be a vegetable. But the whole church was praying. We were all praying, praying for the family too. And we had the joy the last two years that she was one of our students in the, in the institute there. She was completely healed. There, there was no sign of anything that had ever happened to her head. And uh, we never did explain that one other, that other than that God was gracious and worked. As far as missions, there was a very strange thing that happened. That, and in this fishing village, there weren't any Christians. There were a couple of uh, maybe 500, fishing village of 500. And in one night everyone in the village had some kind of a dream or vision about Jesus Christ. And by the next day, all of them had made some kind of profession of faith in Christ. And missions executives wanted to know, how did this happen? You know, because this is a lot easier than sending missionaries. And it turns out that this fishing village that didn't have a single Christian, this was where, in this uh, marketplace, this was where Ramon Lowe, 600 years ago, the very first missionary to the Muslims, was stoned to death preaching the gospel. And just five years before this night had happened, a group of prayer, a, team, a prayer team went there to pray for that little village, and they had knelt down in that very courtyard and held hands and called out to God for that town, symbolically, as, since that's where the first missionary was killed, that God would do something special in that place. The Lord is prepared to do wonderful things. As far as uh, a church I was in a number of years ago, but here in the States, and I began to meet with the pastor. We would meet two mornings a week at 6 o'clock for prayer for an hour, and we would walk through the whole sanctuary and pray over the pulpit and pray uh, over the people in, that would sit in those pews and pray over the doors that as people came in, they would just sense God there. And one of the things we prayed for was that, that God would just soften people's heart, that there would be tears, a, a sincerity, a sense that the Lord was there. And about two months later, we realized, well, I don't think anybody in the congregation cried, but we've had several different people speak. And every time, just about uh, maybe three out of four weeks, whoever's giving the message breaks down at some point, emotionally, crying a bit. I thought, well, that's not exactly what we thought we were praying for, but that's interesting. Um, but we saw tremendous spiritual thaw in that congregation just as we prayed. As far as salvation, uh, we were having a 40 days of early morning prayer with the youth one time. And one day, we had them write the names of all their unsaved family members and put them in a bag. This is a sort of an Argentine church sort of a thing. Because uh, uh, we think you've got to do everything. And they think, well, but God knows all the names in the bags. We'll just put it in the bag and we'll all put our hands on the bag and pray for the bag. 
and that the Lord would just do them all. That's sort of the difference between, um, how do you say, um, minorista and majorista? Well, you know, when somebody sells wholesale and retail, and we think you've got to sell each piece of gum, and they say, well, why don't we just sell a whole carton of gum? So we put the names of all the unsaved family members in that bag, and we all put our hands on it, prayed for it. Well, later that day, our friend Diego goes by to visit his Catholic grandmother. And he's leaving, and she says, well, I have a question. What's the difference between the evangelical and the Catholic church? And he kind of explains it, and he's going to leave. And she asked him another question, and another question. She, she basically made him share the, uh, his faith with her. And so finally, well, she, she says, well, how do you do that? And she says, well, you just asked Christ. Well, well, I want to do that. How do I, can you help me do that? Well, yeah, okay. And he's about to leave, and he says, well, when does your church meet? He says, well, on Sunday. She says, they don't meet before then. Well, they, they have a prayer meeting tonight. Well, can I go? I mean, within 24 hours, she was, had already heard the gospel, had received Christ, and was attending church within 24 hours. As far as provision, in our first year of marriage, Wendy remembers me walking out of the office and saying, Wendy, uh, within three months, I've added these things that we need for these conferences and different special needs. We need another $1,300 within the next three months. And we only clear about $70 just for our food each month and other expenses. I don't know where this is going to come from. About a month later, a gift shows up in our donor income uh, for the exact amount except for the pennies, but it was like an odd amount, 1,322 or something like that. And I thought, who is this? And I see this name, Carl Corbin. I hadn't heard from him in six years since I, I knew him in college. He was a believer. And he wrote a little note. He says, I was in church su Sunday night and just felt like I was supposed to send you this. I tried to call him. I, I've, never been, I've never been able to get in touch with him. I'd never, he's like Melchizedek. You know, he just appears for a while. And nothing before and nothing after. I can't even get his address to send him a newsletter. But the Lord provided. As far as deliverance, uh, also in a church here, and I'll close with this. I can't believe I almost made it through my notes. Um, but there was a lady who was so troubled. Uh, uh, just unable to speak even in a small little Sunday school group, unable to express herself emotionally. And I gave a little talk on freedom in Christ and how the Lord really wants you to, to be free, to be set free from whatever, whatever might chain you or limit you or hinder you that's not Him. And <clears throat> so I, I gave this little talk on a Wednesday night, 30-minute talk, about how it's easier for the Lord to get you out of Egypt than it is for Him to get Egypt out of you. And, uh, but he wants to fully set you free. And so after that, when we finished that meeting that night, the, the husband comes up to me and says, I think she's ready to talk to you. So we met in the church uh, another night, and she went off to tell Wendy kind of about her, her life story. And it was horrible. I, Wendy never told me what it was, but she said it was one of the worst stories she'd ever heard of, of abuse and suffering. And that this, she also found out that this woman had already been counseled by three very well-known counselors that had written books that were, were known all over the United States for their abilities in counseling. I thought, oh, great, you know. I mean, what are we supposed to do? We're not even so-so counselors, and uh, they, they've already been to the best. And so we just had a little bit of a prayer there, but wondering what we were going to do. And as I went out, we got out, went out and got in the car, and the, the husband came over, and he says, this is more than just... Uh, of being emotionally troubled. He says, I have this recurring dream at night that Satan rips the roof off of our house and goes after my wife, and I'm just barely able to choke out the name Jesus. And I thought, oh, great. You know, I, I wasn't looking for trouble. You know, I was just thinking, oh, a little bit more Bible, you know, freedom and a little makeup or something, but not, not heart surgery. Uh, 
with my pocket knife. So, so we began to seek the Lord and pray, and Lord, what do you want us to do? And what he led us to do was something very simple, just to meet with her 30 minutes before that Wednesday evening meeting and just pray with her, not to lay hands on her or do anything that someone would, might call deliverance or something like that, but it's just the way the Lord led us. And she would just sit there, and we would just stand there or, or walk around and just ask the Lord to bless her and help her. Uh, very low-key, sort of a Presbyterian way of doing things. And uh, frankly, not, maybe not with huge faith that something big was going to happen anytime soon. After three weeks, the husband calls up and says, I, she's fine. Uh, now, now, take into account some of her symptoms. She could not hear the messages. When she would sit there in the church service, something would cover up her ears. When she would try to read the Bible, it would shut off. She couldn't read it. She had not cried in 15 years. She was in rough shape. And he called us and, this, and he said, well, she's fine now. And I thought, no, nah, it's not going to be that easy, you know. So we, we met a couple more weeks. But sure enough, she had totally changed. She became the leader of the women in the church. She be, took note in the service. Uh, her whole life changed. The Lord set her free in answer to believing prayer. St. Augustine, years ago, 1,500 years ago, thought that the age of miracles had ceased, that it was just Jesus Christ back when he was originally there. And he said, he wrote one time, he says, we now have about 300 documented miracles of healing here in North Africa. And he says, the evidence is overwhelming. I've just got to revise my point of view on this. He is still alive and well. He still is the God of wonders. He still will respond to the prayer of faith. And in the coming weeks, we want to look at how to get this thing going because I don't want you to miss this. So let's close the prayer. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.